Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Calm Collective Podcast. I'm Cassandra, and I'm so grateful that you're here. So it has been a really fruitful time for this podcast. I was just reflecting this morning on just how many amazing conversations that I've been lucky enough to have, and a lot of that is due to people having just more space and more time. I've had a long list of inspiring people that I've wanted to have conversations with, but with scheduling, it's just, it can be really hard. And with this global pandemic that we're going through, it's opened a lot of space and time. And for that, I'm just finding the little gratitude in, you know, what this, what this time is offering. And I've really felt so pulled to keep showing up here again and again. And it's been a very healing place for me. And I really hope that these episodes have been healing for you as well and that you're getting to know people that you maybe follow on the internet and their work just a little bit more. Um, I am always open to suggestions. If there is someone who is just really calling to you and you would like to have them on the podcast, you can always reach out to me and leave a suggestion. I'm always open to it. Um, So as you guys know, I think I've mentioned it in a couple episodes, my website is being revamped. I'm doing it all myself, which is quite the undertaking, but it feels really good and it's been a really intuitive practice to just go with what feels good and just, you know, taking away the background noise and looking at what other people are doing and just really tap into what I want this next season of the Calm Collective to look like. And, you know, as far as I can tell from everything that's coming up, it's stripping a lot of it away. It's stripping a lot of the noise. It's really getting down to the message and it's less about sharing, you know, an outfit that I really liked and it's more about getting to the root of the human experience. So yes, of course, I'm still going to be doing roundups here and there of like a body oil that I like and all of that stuff because I truly love sharing the wealth. That's part of being human. That's the fun part about being human. But ultimately, I really just want to get back to, you know, where this podcast lies, like the message within this podcast. It's honoring all of it, the good, the bad, the messy, the hard, the confusing. And something that Tiffany says in today's episode that really stuck with me and sort of, you know, made me think about that's that's really what I want the Calm Collective to be is a place for people who are willing to stay in the room when things get uncomfortable and when things get hard. So this space is for all of you, all of those who are ready and willing to get uncomfortable and to ask ourselves the tough questions. Because on the other side of that is human involvement and human growth and more compassion and more understanding. So that all just feels so, so good. The other thing is that I'm reintroducing the one-on-one sessions when the new site goes live, which feels really awesome. I've been doing some of it on the side and just kind of casually, nothing really official like through the website or anything like that. Um, So I'm really excited to launch several different um, little mediums within the coaching one-on-one sessions. These are all things that we'll get into once the site goes live, just filling you guys in on where I've been at, especially because I know I've been quiet over on the blog and within the newsletter. I haven't really gone anywhere. I've been spending most of my time here on the podcast and again, yeah, just doing the um, the revamp. So I will be in touch once that goes live and I can't wait for you guys to see it. So 
As I mentioned, I have life coach Tiffany Hahn on the podcast today, and she is someone that I've been wanting to speak to for so long. She inspires me beyond. Like, there really are no words. She has been seen in Inc., Huffington Post, Creative Live. She's a writer, a speaker, a teacher, and like I said, a life coach. Her main goal is to just make you fall in love with all of it, right, of all the human experience. Like I said, touching on the good, touching on the bad, touching on the really uncomfortable and just falling back in love with it and having your own back and stepping into your own power and just really utilizing the tools that you already have within to create this beautiful, beautiful life that you deserve. It's your birthright. And I just knew that I wanted to share her with all of you because something that I really love about her approach is, you know, just the way that she looks at the world is it's not black and white. It's like this rainbow of opportunity and her tools are just so attainable. We're fortunate that she taps into a lot of different tools that you and I can implement right when the show is over. I, for one, once I stop recording, I'm going to do one of the exercises that she gives us um, right when we hang up. And this episode is really just a gift to us all to remember that we don't have to play small and to remember that there is always going to be time for us to tap into what's true for us, what feels good to us. And we are never imprisoned to this life that we think that we're, you know, supposed to be living. We actually can live the life that we want and the life that is innately ours. So without stealing up any more time, I just can't wait to introduce you to Tiffany Hahn. Let's go to the show. Tiffany, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so grateful that you're taking the space during this pandemic to just sit down with me and have a conversation. You are welcome. I'm really excited to be here, and it's nice to have something to look forward to Yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. So I already told you this, but for all the other listeners, you've heard Jen Willie on the podcast before. I think it was episode number nine I had her on. She's one of the sweetest souls on the planet. I was introduced to Tiffany and Tiffany's work through Jen Willie. So that is how I know you. A little shout out to Jen. We love you. Jen, we love you. She's best. She is. So I like to start off interviews here by painting a picture for the listeners. So with that being said, could you just tell us about where you are in this moment and what life is looking like for you right now amidst this corona pandemic? Yeah. Um, Where I am physically is uh, we live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and um, I live in a house with my husband and we have six-year-old twin daughters. Um, who are home right now, kind of indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Um, They say school's going to start back in the fall. We'll see. (laughs) I'm I'm just not like trying to make any guesses right now about Mm -hmm. what's happening. Um, And our dog is here with us. And, you know, we're, I I think that we're actually doing quite well, Mm -hmm. given all of the circumstances. Like we are privileged enough to, um, our, our work is still happening. Like we have food in the fridge. Our kids are happy. They're essentially quarantined with their best friend and that helps Mm. a ton. Mm -hmm. And so we are in really good shape. And I think right now I'm just trying to, uh, keep my focus on what do I need right now? How can I, I don't want to say use this time to like be super productive, but Mm. I have felt a really 
interesting kind of settling in during this time Mm -hmm. of like, we're in it for the long haul, staying really present, letting go of what you think things need to look like. And I'm trying to just keep for myself, keep learning from that because I I know that if I do, I'm going to come out of this at a a different place. And I think that Mm. that's something that a lot of us are hungry for. Oh, that's beautifully put. Absolutely. Where everyone's like, when can we get back to normal? You're like, oh, do we need to go back to normal though? Let's do something different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, yeah, it's like, what if, and, and it's interesting because I'm, you know, in terms of the world, right, we're seeing, I think, evidence that a lot of the systems that mm-hmm. our society was built on are not serving very many people. Right. And a lot of people have been kind of screaming for a long time that the house is on fire. And I think that that others are just starting to be like, oh, I see what mm-hmm. you meant by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also can recognize it in myself where, you know, once everything got cleared, we're in our fifth week right now as of the recording time of uh, social distancing and being at home. But once everything got cleared, it's been interesting for me to think to look at all of the things that I thought were completely necessary and the most important and realize like, I'm not really missing some of them. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting too, because some of these things took up a lot of space in my life. Yeah. What are some of those things that you're noticing? Yeah. One of them is, um, just like going to my Pilates studio and working Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, in a really, I was like, in a what what looked like again from the outside looking in, like I was going five days a week, and and it was like a two hour time commitment to go across town and do the workout and come home and all of that. But I was like, this is amazing, and um, you know what? I haven't done any exercise like beyond taking walks and bike rides mm-hmm. and being outside. I have not done any Pilates workouts mm-hmm. since this all happened, and it's like, oh did I need that? Or was it just something, was it more of a performative Mm. thinking? This is what I needed thing. Absolutely. I love that. The way that you phrase that, the performative thinking of just Mm. doing things because we think we're supposed to, or because of like the way that it like almost the way it sounds when we say it out loud, you know, like I'm going to Pilates Mm -hmm. classes for me, it was orange theory. And I'm like, well, I've been without orange theory now for five weeks and I'm actually doing great. Like my body feels Great. great. I feel healthy. I have $200 in my bank account extra every month. That's, that feels nice. Just like reframing things or looking at things differently. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it's interesting too, because like I've been doing this work a long time and that's part of what I help women with in my work, right? Is letting go of that performance-based mm-hmm. way of life and really stepping into their own sense of agency and what they want for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just funny to like catch myself doing it too, because it's just really easy to design our lives around all of those shoulds. Yeah, absolutely. So I cannot wait to get into your beautiful business because I just really relate to the message so deeply. But before we get into that, let's talk about your background a little bit. So what was your childhood and your upbringing like? Um, So I grew up in the South, in North and South Carolina and Tennessee, and um, I was raised by a single mom. She got remarried when I was six to my stepdad, um, 
but it was, she and I were really like the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I would say like a standard childhood. I did well in school. We moved a lot. Um, maybe not a lot, three, three times when I was growing up, which felt, felt like kind of disruptive times. Um, but thinking about when I look back at like that performance piece, um, I was always, that was definitely an undercurrent for me of growing up that I was always the smart one. I always got good grades. Um, I was an only child and also the only grandchild in my family. And so Mm. that was really interesting to kind of be, be that, um, where a lot of pressure, which not to blame them for putting pressure on me, but I just internalized that. And I had always, you know, I went to college, I did well, I was always super ambitious and driven. And I think that it was, um, when I was, let's see, how old was I? 27. I was 27 working in a nonprofit, living in San Francisco, everything looked really great on paper. And I was going through the process of applying to MBA programs. Um, cause I was like, I'll get an MBA because that seems like the next logical step mm-hmm. in this trajectory. Right. And right. nobody, when you tell people you're getting an MBA, nobody's like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's so um, true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everyone was like, that sounds perfect. And for my overachieving family, that yeah. was just exactly what I needed to do. And I started to um, like download the applications and read the application questions online. And, and was like, I don't, you know, the questions were very straightforward. Like what kind of business or management do you want to go into? Right. It was very like MBA boilerplate questions. Mm -hmm. And I just felt ill. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, well, I don't want to grow up and be a manager. Um, you know, it'd be one thing Mm -hmm. if I was managing a team for the sake of some greater purpose or whatever, but like just being a manager to be a manager felt so out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think when I started to like look around at everything and be like, what if it doesn't have to be this way? Mm. Yeah. So you have this incredible, inspiring energy around the work that you do. It just like radiates off the screen from your podcast and this message that you cultivate for your clients. So where would you say that that's where it came from was like the own cross, the own crossroad that you had in your own life? Or have you kind of always had this like say yes attitude and approach to life? Yes. I think that I've always had a say yes attitude and approach to life. Um, in a way that when I look back on things, it was, it was almost like based in, this naivete that was just really sweet, mm-hmm. right? Of like, I can do anything. And yeah. one of my first jobs after college, well, after I graduated college, I waited tables for a couple of years. And I remember I was in, I was in Northern California in like 2002, 2003. And real estate was like a really big industry then. And so somebody said, you should um, get, get your real estate license. And so I studied really hard and got that. And then I had lunch with a friend of my mom's who was a real estate agent. And she said, okay, the way to become a real estate agent, I'm 23, by the way, 23. And I'm like, I can do anything. And she said, the way to become a real estate agent is first you want to work for 
an agent as an assistant. And she said, this was back before the internet is what it is now. And she was like, so what you want to do is make a flyer that says that like getting people to hire you. Mm -hmm. And there were these services that you could pay 50 bucks to, and they would distribute your flyer to like every real estate agent in the County. And so I was like, okay. So I went home and I'm like Microsoft paint right back Mm, in the day. I made myself, I made this flyer that was like a picture of me from college. And it was like, let me be your superstar. I so wish that I still had it. Um, It was just really sweet. And I distributed that to probably a thousand real estate agents. And that was how I got like I got hired from that, but it's just really funny. Now, when you look back on that and you think about if somebody were to say, this is what you need to do, it would be like, oh my God, that might be kind of embarrassing. And I don't know. And it's really silly. But at the time I was just like, this is what I'm doing. Um, and I've had a lot of those moments that have totally worked. And when I look back, I'm like, wow, you had some chutzpah girl. Mm -hmm. Like that was pretty bold. But at the time it didn't feel bold. It just felt like, here's what I need to be doing. Right. Yeah. Super intuition led base. It sounds like. Exactly. Yes. And I'm a, I'm a quick, I'm a, I'm quick to action, um, which drives my husband crazy because he is very (laughs) slow and thoughtful about things. And part of that being quick to action, I think we can talk about all the ways it doesn't serve me, but in a way it does serve me really well because I can make things happen pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and I almost don't give myself time to overthink it. Now, there are also plenty of things that I do overthink, um, or that I drag my feet on. So it's not, it's not all or nothing, but for kind of those like turning points, often if I make up my mind to do something, then it's not a question of whether or not I'm going to do it. It's just a question of like, how quickly am I going to do it or how many things get knocked over in the process? Right. So what inspired you then to create a niche around helping women? to say yes to themselves? Was there like a specific pull to this or did you just start noticing a theme within your clients and decided to lean into that and go deeper here? Yeah, it all, like it all kind of happened organically um, where I started coaching in 2011. Um, I had been wanting to figure out something entrepreneurial and when I discovered coaching a couple years before that, it felt so right for the direction for me to go. I had studied psychology in college and I had looked into social work schools and I had looked into, you know, PhD programs and academia and public policy. And then we've got the MBA path. Like I was always trying to figure out what, where to put myself. And when I found out about coaching, it felt so forward movement, forward moving. And so present and so powerful. Um, and I worked with a couple coaches and was like, yes, this is definitely what I wanted to do. Uh, when I first started, my promise was that I was going to help people live their, what did I say? Their happiest, most sparkly life, um, which is also like very sweet. And (laughs) then just over time, over the years, I, it evolved. My message evolved. I went from life coaching to business coaching. Mm -hmm. I was doing both. Then I got into more business and branding strategy. And as I started to get more experience and work with more people and put together the, the 
dot, kind of connect the dots of my own life, but then also what I was witnessing both with my clients and just people that I was around or talking to or watching, it started to feel like, oh, this is what I actually help people do. Mm. Um, so even when I was doing the business coaching, we were still talking about what aren't you letting yourself say yes to? What aren't you letting yourself say out loud? What aren't you willing to ask for, right? What are, where are you quieting yourself and deferring and, I was just helping people through this, the kind of specific path of their business, but mm -hmm. I started to really be hungry to make it not just about business, but about yeah. everything in our lives. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what's gotten me to where I am now with my, my work. That's so amazing. So, I mean, what's really cool is that someone could hire you for business coaching and the message that you're giving within the business coaching really applies to all life anyway, yes. you know, like, all of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. And it's so, I think part of it is like in business coaching, we, we think what we want is just, just tell me what to say. Yeah. Right. Just tell me what to say. Tell me how to beat social media. Tell me the steps and what I've found over and over. And I'm sure you've experienced too, is somebody could hand me a binder of like what to say to be successful 101. And if I followed that, but it wasn't authentic to me, then I might have a business, but it's not going to light me up and give me what I need. Yeah. Um, or often, you know, we witness people going through the motions and you can tell when someone's not feeling it, when the magic yeah. isn't there. Yeah. And both of those outcomes for me and for the people that I work with, right, taking a stand for people, like both of those outcomes are unacceptable. So I try to, I try to create a different path and go mm -hmm. a different way. I'm in this really beautiful season of life right now, and I think, honestly, kind of like what you were saying, this time has sort of shown itself to me in a positive light in way of, like, layers are just being shedded off of me. Like, I'm seeing so many ways in which I've played small and really, you know, tried to conform myself into this perfect little package, and the more that I'm letting go and the more that I'm actually using my voice, the more that I'm leaning into my Yes, you know, like my authentic mm -hmm. self. Yeah. Life is getting a lot easier. Like who would yeah. have thunk it? It's <laughs> honestly like there's just so much less weight to carry around and things just like flow that much more. Why do yep. you think that it's our default, especially as women, unfortunately, but why yeah. do you think that we default to playing small so often? Oh gosh. Um, so many reasons. I mean, I think that one culturally, the, the generations that came before us played small yeah, and then that gets passed down both, you know, genetically, but also just in how we're raised. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I could go deep here. I'll go deep here for a minute, but if you look back at history and, um, religion, mm -hmm. right? What happened, I think around the fourth century, um, is that the Holy Roman empire was starting to lose their power and the barbarians were taking over the world. And they like all these men got together and were like, how do we get people to need us? Right. How do we get people to need the church? Mm -hmm. And that's when they decided to introduce the concept of original sin. And they introduced the concept of original sin and they decided like only the church can rid people of sin and people are born bad. People cannot be trusted. And not only that, but original sin is passed down through the mother mm. and women are the carriers oh, wow. and the torch bearers of original sin. And that message has now become 
so much. Right. And and I think that when we, it's really easy for us to beat ourselves up for not trusting ourselves Mm -hmm. and playing small and make ourselves wrong for Mm -hmm. all of that. But I think when I can look at it through this historical scope of like, oh, thousands of years, Um, this has been going on. Like it's not our fault. Right. And also that doesn't mean we have to live in that place. Right. Mm -hmm. I also think that it has to do with, um, a lot of, a lot of systems thrive when we doubt ourselves, when we acquiesce, when we defer, when we give away our power, when we think that some external thing is going to give us the resolve that we need. I also think that part of it is just about like, people management, right? My children are in kindergarten and I see the way that like teachers need to be able to manage a classroom of kids. And and some of that requires some obedience um, and some kind of dialing in of spirit, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, does that mean that all classrooms are wrong? No, but does it also mean that we could look at like educational systems and standards and start to question certain things? Like, I think that we are in a place right now where, especially in the last few weeks, like we get to question everything. Oh, yeah. And part of why life feels easier now for you, for me, for us, without all of this weight is that we are in a way isolated from the systems that needed us to play small in order to yeah. work. Yeah. Right. And, and so within those systems, while we know from like a soul level that it's not easier to play small, it's also, there's a lot less friction with your day-to-day life. If you're willing to just toe the line, not disrupt, stay, you know, be the polite person, be nice, take care of other people. Like we think that's how cultures work, but, but we also know that like, it's a false thing. That, yeah. Big answer. Big, beautiful answer. I'm like over here nodding my head. Yeah, that's so good. So kind of segueing out of that, but into something familiar, um, for you personally, what would you say has been the hardest thing that you've come up against within choosing a life of yes for yourself rather than what was expected of you? Because I know that internally, you know, we can, we can, forge our own path and go down that own path. But there are people around us that we love who might be like, what are you doing? Or I'm uncomfortable with that. Have you had to experience any of that background noise per se? Oh God. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I can think of three specific kind of pivot points. Um, one is when I quit drinking back in 20, Mm. when did I quit drinking alcohol? 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a really vulnerable kind of scary pivot point for me in Mm -hmm. that there's like saying, and and I was the kind of drinker who from the outside looking in, nobody would think that I had a problem. Um, You know, I was definitely very high functioning Mm -hmm. in my relationship with alcohol. and, And it was not necessarily that I was, an addict, but I like to say I did not have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Um, so that was one time where I was, uh, I knew as soon as I'd realized I needed to quit drinking, that this was going to be something that I had to talk about out loud, not necessarily as like a marketing path, but more as a way of like, if I'm learning something, I can't not share it with the world. Mm, Um, and I'm, 
not good at like not telling my stories. So mm. I've kind of lived from a place of like, I'm just going to tell all the stories and oh, that way I, I don't have that. to remember what I said out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was one point we, we moved to Colorado two years ago, two years ago. Um, and before that we had been living in San Francisco Bay area. I had been there for 17 years. Oh, wow. Um, that was another one of those times where like the choice made a lot, made so much sense to us. We've never, never regretted it, never questioned it. And yet there are a lot of people disappointed with that decision, right? Like dear friends, my mom's out there. We had family. It was incredibly disruptive to our lives moving, you know, to a completely different state. Um, it was a choice that people even now are like, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. And in a way it was like, well, we made the decision and then slowly over time, let it unfold. But there's definitely a lot of kind of heartache and turmoil, that showed up with that. And I think that part of what happens is we, we know what we want, but we, we think that our job is to wait until the heartache and turmoil aren't going to be there in order to make that move. Uh, and, yes. you know, I don't think that's possible. Like I think the heartache and turmoil, if you can not, you don't have to love it, right. It's not that it feels good, but if you can just accept that it's part of, living a really true life, mm -hmm. then it makes, it makes the decision of whether or not to pull that trigger a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like surrendering to the human experience really and knowing that you can't avoid the discomfort. I love that. Yeah. Just leaning into it instead of trying to avoid yeah. it altogether. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the third one was, this is Oregon personal here, right? Um, <laughs> no, it's the third one was like, and I've, I mean, I've talked about this on my podcast, so mm -hmm. it's not a secret to the world, but, um, was having a conversation with my husband about our sex life yeah, and my trouble having orgasm, like achieving orgasm and, and bringing it up after like years of not bringing it up, which, um, is another thing where part of the problem when we're done when we were like, okay, I need to address this. I need to say it out loud mm -hmm. is we don't, for me, it was like, I don't want to negate the, the experiences that we've had for the last few years. Right. And it wasn't a deceptive thing. I wasn't like faking it or anything like that. Um, but I also hear that from a lot of people where they are faking it for years, either in the bedroom or just going through their lives. And then they get to the point where they're like, now I can't tell the truth. Uh, because yeah. it's like I've been lying the whole time and I don't want the per right. So, so there are so many layers. Um, but I also think that like telling the truth always wins, even if it's disruptive in the moment to yeah. whatever probably honestly needs to be disrupted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've even experienced that. Like I haven't been dating for a while, but when I was dating, I made this vow to myself that like, I mean, I don't really believe in ghosting, but I would do this thing where it was like if you were letting someone go, I would just be like, oh, no, like, yeah, I just, like, don't think it's a great match. And then I started being honest, not in the way – and I made sure to to divide it from, like, something that I just didn't prefer because – someone else might think that that's so great about them and I would never want them to take like a preference of mine and change themselves. Right. But if there was like a, something that I felt like needed to be addressed, like if they were disrespectful or, um, I don't know what a good example is, but like even just offering up that truth and having those really tough conversations, a, it put me in my power and it like raised my worth 
and, you know, was essentially saying, like, I didn't like being treated like that or that just didn't work for me. But then 99.9% of the time it was received with so much grace and, like, mm-hmm. thank you so much for your honesty. Like, I really appreciate that. That's refreshing. And then you just – you can lay your head on the pillow and you're like, cool. Yeah. I – yeah. first and foremost, showed up for myself and was able to hopefully shed some light. <laughs> right, and right. And tell the truth. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's also a matter of integrity yeah. to self right. before integrity to other people. Oh, wait, say that again. Yeah, so looking at, I, I do a lot of work around personal values mm-hmm. and my number one value is integrity, which is great. Right. And I think that for people who know me, that's not surprising. And one of the dark sides of having a high value of integrity is that it's easy for me to put my integrity to other people above my integrity to myself. And I always have to remember that part of my job is to live in integrity to myself. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, Hey Jen, um, (laughs) First and foremost, before we, before I can be an integrity to other people, because of me being an integrity to somebody else or keeping a promise that I made to someone else cost me my own integrity to myself, then it's not worth doing. No, nobody wins. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You, we think, we think that it's our job. Right. Like it's a hard, that is a really, the idea of, I think that I will be saying until I die, like, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. It's not selfish to live in alignment with yourself. It's not selfish to make decisions that you know are right, even if they're not what other people want or need you to decide. Right. And one of the hardest and most uncomfortable things that come out of that is, you know, the common, the common statement of like, but then I'll lose friends or like people won't understand. It's like, well, those aren't your people because if you're truly living in alignment with yourself, there's really nothing negative that's coming from that. You're just going to find that you're not aligned with the people that you might've had in your life prior to living out of alignment. And that's actually really beautiful. Creating more space. That was a big thing for me when I quit drinking was like, I knew that I needed to quit drinking for gosh, a decade. Um, and you know, I just kept not because Alcohol was such a foundational piece of my life Mm -hmm. and all of my friends drank and we went out to bars and we went to parties and we had wine with dinner and all of that stuff. And, um, that was a really big fear of mine of like, I'm afraid that friendships are going to change and go away. And I have to say, I didn't actually lose any friends. I mean, by the time I quit drinking, I was in my mid thirties. I had two kids. I was pretty much a homebody anyway, so Mm -hmm. I wasn't going out and doing a lot of partying. Um, But the relationships that I had where we would primarily like hang out and drink, they shifted into something a lot deeper and a lot more real. Mm -hmm. And that was a really beautiful thing to witness and experience and see like, oh, I was afraid of losing the thing that I had because I didn't trust that what was on the other side of it was so much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It also comes down to like the quality control too, I think. Like Mm -hmm. for me too, I noticed even something as small as like when I post something on Instagram that's like really vulnerable and I'm like, ooh, I felt that. That feels important. I'll notice it's like the same group of women or people, I should say, that respond with, like, I see you, I love you, like, whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, all of these – not all of these – I mean, I have, like, 4,000-something. It's not a ton. But, like, to have six people 
see me in that moment, I'm like, those six messages are so valuable to me and really like the cherry on top of just posting that vulnerable message. I don't need to be seen by every single person. I need to be seen by the people who are like really locking eyes, you know? So it's like a really beautiful lesson in quality control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also like such a valuable way to think beyond just like life stuff, but like thinking about business and social media numbers and followings and growing and all of that is like, I always try to remember that my job is not to speak to the masses, but is to Mm. like make eye contact with people as often as possible. And I think it's really shifted the way that I show up in my business where it's a lot more focused on like the depth of the relationship than, than how wide I can go or how thin I can spread myself. Yeah. Like speaking to your, to our ideal client, you know, your, or as Jen Willie taught me, your avatar, creating your avatar yeah, exactly. and speaking yeah. for her. Yeah. So you've brought a lot of amazing things to life throughout the years. So, so when it comes to your business and just following your bliss, I guess I'll say. So you've also closed some of those things down, like your Etsy shop, a studio space, just to name a couple. Can you talk to us about if you had this voice, but that nagging voice in the back of our heads that says things like you failed or what will people think? So perhaps this wasn't your own personal experience within closing this business, but I know it's a common dance with the ego that so many of us endure. So what would you tell the listener who feels like a failure after saying yes to themselves or to something that feels intuitively correct? And then ultimately shutting the doors and feeling like they completely failed. Yes. I think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a simple, not easy kind of answer because part of, part of the reason that I can speak so clearly about this is that I've done it a lot and I've survived it. Mm -hmm. And that whole idea of like, there's been something better waiting for me on the other side and I've lived it. So I know like when I say like, there's something better waiting for you on the other side, it's not just a platitude, like it is real, but when you're not, there yet, it's really hard to see it. Um, I think that what would people think is probably the hardest part. And that has kept me, that's kept me in a lot of things that I've known in my heart, I was ready to move on from. Mm. So, um, the studio space was a really great example where for two years I ran a workshop studio space in Berkeley with a couple of friends. And that was a situation where, um, I think two weeks after we signed the lease for the second year. So two, so a year and two weeks in, right. When we renewed the lease, I was just like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And, um, it took, it took a minute for me to understand it. I think sometimes we have the sense that like, as soon as we know we want to make a change, we have to like tell Instagram or like announce it or whatever. Yes. And you don't, yeah. but you do need to let yourself know it, right? So much of our energy is spent running away from our own internal knowings and that's not serving anybody because you're just exhausting yourself trying to ignore truth. Mm-hmm. Um, And so step one is just like letting yourself know it, whisper it, say it out loud. Um, Step two was that I talked to Tim, my husband, about it and was like, I think this is, this is what I'm thinking. And, um, you know, he was great and was like, I support whatever you think, whatever you want to do. And it was also a hard choice because I had invested a lot of money into it. Right. Um, 
And it was all like in that respect, it was also like the business side of it was not profitable. And so it also felt like, oh, this is costing me money every month, probably time to, to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years later, I shut down three different um, offers in my business that brought in over six figures of revenue. And that felt very scary because from the outside looking in, everything was working pretty well. Like it was super successful. And that was another experience where I kind of knew that I was ready to pivot. Um, and not only was I afraid of what other people would think, um, I also was collaborating with two very dear friends and that felt like I, by me making that choice, I would be letting them down or Mm -hmm. making them lose money by ending those collaborations. Um, but I, I think that I've learned that I can live with the knowing for long enough and then I have to act on it mm-hmm. or it just eats me, eats me up from the inside. Yeah. So it's almost like being able to kind of reframe it as the not showing up for yourself in that way is and ignoring that knowing is the failure, not to sound trite or cliche, yeah. but like that's the real loss. Oh, totally, totally, totally. And I, I really look at everything as an evolution. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know some people in their businesses, I love these people and I admire them so much. Like they pick a thing, they pick a path and that's what they do Mm -hmm. forever. Right. Like Nike makes shoes. Mm-hmm. and other stuff, but like shoes, mm-hmm. Nike still makes shoes. And I, I recently got like a human design profile done. <gasps> I was just going to ask you. Yeah. And the thing I, let me see if I can pull it up. The thing that I am, it was so interesting to me because it was, um, a three or a five. It explained everything. Let me pull it up. I, yeah, I can't please remember do. what all the things, but it explained everything. And I was like, oh, that's why I can't sit still. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. So I'm a generator. Yeah, that makes sense. And what there was something else. Yeah, like a, there's two on. numbers. It was a 4-1. Okay. So they call it the opportunist or investigator. <laughs> um, but essentially, like, it said that I – it says um, – Something like my job, my like purpose on this earth is to like learn things and share what I'm learning Mm -hmm. and just keep learning and growing for myself and sharing that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's what I've been making myself wrong forever about. And now I can just like go all in on that. And what a gift. Mm -hmm. Truly. I'm a three five, which means basically the biggest piece of that is that I will forever be experimenting. And Mm -hmm. sharing those experiences with other people, whether they go like the way I want them to or not. That is just something like I've never made a mistake is essentially what it says. And that was really freeing to hear because I I mean, we can relate in the way of like, I respond to things quickly. So like if I'm lit up by something, I'm like, I'm doing it. But now and that used to frustrate the fuck out of me. Like I hated that I did that because it would just ultimately end up in like feeling a little bit like chaos. And now... I can sort of reframe it and be like, no, no, like that's a gift. That's like a part of who I am. I should be following that ping because I'm going to learn something from it and I'll be able to share the nuggets that mm-hmm. come out of it. So yeah, right. I, I can relate. Right. Yeah. So for those who are quite literal, then how do you respond to the healthy boundary settings around saying no to things that don't feel aligned when this 
within the say yes approach. So how do you ensure that your clients and yourself are committing to healthy boundaries and not just raising their hand to every single thing that comes their way that feels yeah. good? Because there's some balance there, right? Yeah. So for people who are quite literal, what I want y'all to do is mm. take two pieces of paper, tape them to your wall, and on one piece of paper, write the word yes. And on the other piece of paper, write the word no. And what I want you to do is essentially the idea is for every no, there's a corresponding yes. And for every yes, there's a corresponding no. So if I say no to happy hour, um, whatever that is when we're allowed to leave the house, if I say no to a coffee date, then maybe I'm saying yes to time with my kids or Mm. yes to taking a walk or reading a book or playing with my dog or cooking bread or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I have people do is with Post-its, you know, they, I like to use like on a, on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, you have room for six standard post-its. Mm-hmm. So you can make your yes, your, your big yeses. What are the things that you really want to say yes to right now? Fill up that paper. But in order for something new to come onto the page, you have to, something else has to go off. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a way to think about like, oh, if I say yes to this trip or this opportunity or this speaking gig, a lot of things that like look really good on paper. Am I willing to say no to one of these things that I say are my priorities? And there's no wrong answer, right? Like this is all about putting you in choice and also making it really facing forward upfront of like, these are the things that I say are most important. Are my actions aligning with them? Because that's Uh, another thing that I see us doing is we're saying, right? Like I say that my number one priority is, you know, being available to myself and my kids. And then I spend three hours a day on Instagram Mm -hmm. watching other people live their lives, Mm -hmm. not playing with my kids, not journaling, not meditating, not taking care of my body, not having time to make myself a good lunch, all of that. So, you know, the other kind of thing that I like to, to ask people is if you are followed by a hidden camera for a week, would the footage that you watched back, would it match the things that you say are your priorities, right? Because so often we're like, well, this is what really matters. But if you were to watch that footage and like time-lapse, for me, it's it's a lot of like, oh, I spend too much time messing around on the internet or like online shopping for things that I'm not actually going to buy or scrolling Instagram. And that's like hours a day that I could be really honoring the things that I say are my priorities. Oh my God. Yeah. This is why you're sought after. Cause that even just like those two (laughs) small exercises, I'm like, holy shit. That's like in the grand scheme of things, that's so big. That's so much valuable information that you can get from just putting some post-its on some paper. I'm going to do that when we're done. That's amazing. Do it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. I mean, I'm a big fan of post-its on paper and I, I, I need things to be like front and center Same. in front of my eyeballs. So visual. Um, but, but so often, you know, we, we want to, we don't want to have to deal with finding awareness. We want to just go straight into action. Right. Just tell me what to change. Just tell me what to do. Tell me three tips. Tell me the three steps to becoming a morning person or whatever. Yeah. And, if we don't, if we don't have the awareness piece, mm-hmm. then we're going to be forever fumbling and trying out somebody else's plan. And, yes. and my work, I'm a lot more interested in spending so much more time in the awareness piece. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and really, really letting people live there. Because I think once you know, you're like really, truly know yourself, then the action almost becomes, of course, you're going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of, I used to, my my brand used to be really centered around, what was my tagline? Like, I help highly creative women like raise their hand and say yes to creative risk or taking bold, bold, inspired action. So it was all around like really risk taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized the other day that that was part of the thing that we thought, like that was what we thought we needed. But really what I, what I've always been trying to get at is like the reverence underneath the risk. Mm-hmm. So I think that if we can, rather than thinking about the bold inspired action, is where's the reverence? Because if you have that reverence and you can live there and you can trust it and you can know that it's right for you, even if the rest of the people around you are like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. The risk is is secondary and it just becomes almost automatic. Yeah. I loved what you said too. So like I'm in the midst of transferring um, my website from WordPress to Squarespace. And so it's forcing me to go through every single blog post individually, mm-hmm. which is very tedious. <laughs> But I have, so I talk a lot about mindfulness and simplicity, and I have some blog posts on there. I mean, you nailed it. One of them, I mean, is like three ways to create a morning routine or three ways to become a morning person. And reading that, I'm like, this blog post is fine, but I'm in that point of life where I'm like, let's go deeper. Like, why do you need that morning ritual so badly? Why are you seeking out this blog post? And one of the main things that I get asked about is like, organizing because I'm always sharing like I'm very type A and organized. Um, So I created this declutter method course and I wanted to be very clear of like this is not just how to fold your clothes and Marie Kondo the things. There are sections in there that are like pull out your journal. Like why do you feel this way? You know like really getting down to like the soul work of like why can you not get a grip on keeping things together or why do you feel this impulsive need to just go and spend all of your hard-earned money on shoes that you don't really like? Um, And so I love that you brought that to light because it really is so much bigger than just the the ultimate like desire that you want out of it. It's the why underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think too, I will say – and I don't know if you experience this frustration, right? This is just something that I experience for myself. Like, I wish I could just let it be a surface thing because oh, yeah. I think that it would be easier <laughs> yeah. to talk to people about it. I think sure. it'd be easier to like bring people in because part of my, the thing that like I love and hate about my work right now is like, I'm only willing to work with the people who will stay in the room when Mm -hmm. things get hard, Mm -hmm. right? And they start feeling sticky and that's not everybody. And I'm always like, oh, I wish I could just teach people how to lose those last 10 pounds. Um, But it's just not, it's not what I I know that it's not what we need. And so I've also been willing to like understand that my communication road and like the branding and the niching and how Mm -hmm. I talk to people is going to be just a little bit bumpier because, I don't have a 10 second elevator pitch, but like if yeah. you can give me 15 minutes, like we're good, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it circles back to the quality control. You know, it's like yeah. the people who are ready for your message are going to be the ones who are showing up. And like for okay. me, I've gotten a lot more clear and a lot more open and vulnerable. And I'm watching people leave and hand, hand to heart, it's like one of those things that doesn't even rattle me anymore. Because I'm just like, okay, like you said, like 
they're uncomfortable in this room. And I, I welcome that. I welcome them to leave. Like, there are no hard feelings here waiting Uh, for the other people to come in, you know, to sit in the uncomfortable and have the conversation. So. Yeah. And and I think too, that like, I, I also experienced that where they might be back in times Mm -hmm. when you don't even know when they're ready. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. We're here to hold Mm -hmm. the space. That is something that I think is so refreshing about your platform and just like, even just your presence online is like you, not to imply that other people aren't, but you just have this real, honest, like vulnerable, blunt approach that's still so soft and human. Um, it Uh just feels like a very safe space that you've created for people. Yeah. Just to come and to sort of like have that like primal roar of like, I'm so ready to change. And like, this is the space that I can do that and be heard. So thank you for creating that space for all of us. Yeah. Thank you. That I, I really appreciate you saying that because I do try to be uh, you know, part of my job is to, when I think about the stuff I did put up on Instagram, right? Like part of my goal is to like stop people in their scroll, Ugh. right? Like I want to interrupt their scroll yes. so that they're like, wait, what? And also though, like, I don't want to shame people into yeah. feeling like my job isn't to change you mm-hmm. via beating you up or making you feel stupid or bad. And so I try to really lovingly, you know, get people's attention and nudge mm-hmm. them. Like it's a very, it's very tough love, but it's also like everything is under this giant umbrella of grace of like, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not that you've been doing it wrong. And I think for so often and what a lot of people in our industry don't acknowledge is that the things that we've been doing that are no longer serving us served us for a long time, both personally and professionally and within mm-hmm. whatever cultures we're existing in. And so it's not that we were doing it wrong. Like, in fact, we were checking all the boxes and playing all the parts for a really long time. And Absolutely. then we kind of one day are just like, oh, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes that pivot, it happens just like sometimes you, sometimes it takes years. Sometimes you wake up and it's an overnight thing. And we don't, I never want people to, um, forsake the lives that they've lived up until that point happens because there's a lot of beauty there. And it took all of those experiences to get them where they are. And and I often have people when they learn something about themselves or they get a light bulb and they're like, I can't believe I didn't know this years ago. And I know for me, right. When I even talk about quitting drinking and how I thought about it for probably a dozen years, like I knew it, but I didn't know it. And I wasn't ready to fully embrace it until that day, what, January 4th, 2017 or whatever, when I was like, okay, mm-hmm. now I know this. Mm-hmm. And that's that's okay. Yeah. So a lot of my listeners reach out to me regarding time as far as like there not being enough of it or how do we make more of it? How do we manage it better? And I hate to be harsh because I honor that headspace. I've been there. But it really does come down to prioritizing what it is that you want. So kind of going back to your exercise of the post-its on the paper. Um, So what would you tell a room full of women who say that they don't have enough time to create the life that they want for themselves? Perhaps they're a mother, a caretaker, the breadwinner in a job that sucks up all of their time. What would you want them to hear? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I would want to start with... Honestly, probably if someone was like a mother and a breadwinner and a caretaker and a da, 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 like the truth is like, you are correct. You don't have time to create the life you want, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, That's you amazing. know, if you're yeah. giving 
you're 18 hours of your day away, Mm -hmm. then there's nothing left. Um, So I think that what I would want to do is, again, coming back to the idea of agency and awareness is getting like really, really microscopic about what is the life that you say you want? What is the life that you say you need? Is that really what you want? Mm -hmm. Right. Do you need five more promotions or do you just need more sleep? Mm. Um, I, I find that nine times out of 10, we are exhausted and we are not taking care of like our human bodies. So it's super annoying to be like self-care and also self-care is almost always the answer. Um, then once they've started sleeping, then we look at like, okay, now what's next? And what I find is often, the thing we think we're chasing, the promotion, the car, the whatever, um, there's a value attached to that, right? There's a feeling and an energy attached to that. So I'm really interested in saying like, okay, you think you need the promotion. Mm. What's really going on? What are you hungry for? What do you think that'll give you? Oh, turns out that you actually just want to be acknowledged and understood. And so we could also look at like having a no phones at the table rule so that you and your husband, instead of just staring at your phones or watching TV while you're eating dinner, you actually have a conversation. And all of a sudden you start feeling valued and heard and understood. And like you are part of a decision maker in your family and that people are taking you seriously. And guess what? Now all of that professional striving, it's not that your ambition goes away, but you feel so much more fulfilled with the life that you have right now today. And then you're at a much more solid, rooted, grounded place to go after these external things. Mm, So good. Yeah, it's so good. But it's not also not about time. And maybe it is because the other piece is that women have been taught that we can do everything and we can be everything and nothing has been taken off of our plate. And that's some bullshit because we literally can't be and do everything and also be and do what we need to be. Like you, I don't think that you can actually balance all of the external things with all of the internal longings, Mm. like something has to give. And that's when you think about integrity to self versus integrity to others. Mm. And, you know, also like if you're in a chapter of having small kids Cut yourself some slack. Yeah. Something's got to give in that season of life, and then the next season of life might look different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it will, right? Like, it, we know it will, and there will be other challenges, but, like, you'll probably also get more sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So what about autopilot? Because that is a real human condition. That was me, I think it was, like, 2008, 2010, in the worst way. Fortunately, now... I can feel it in my bones when it starts to approach and I can usually snap out of it. But for those who can't seem to shake it, what are some ways that you suggest getting out of that hamster wheel and just tapping back into that, like your true desires to shake things up a bit? So I I have a couple of things. Um, Three, let me see, three things that people can try. And for anyone listening to this, if you're like, oh, that's a good idea. Mm. I implore you to actually follow through with trying it because (laughs) it's one thing to be like, "Uh uh-huh, but uh, (laughs) then it's another thing to live it. So the first one that I would say is um, take a social media break um, for at least two weeks. 
take email off your phone, right? Like delete all the social media apps from your phone, take email off your phone, take a social media break. If you need to, the extreme would be like, have somebody change your password and not tell you what the new password is for two weeks. Um, (laughs) Because I mean, I honestly think that one of the best things that ever happened to me was when the iPhone added like their screen time feature. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And now they tell you how much time you spend on various apps and it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> you know, it's also is like horrifying because now they're tracking how much time I spend on the, the monster that they created. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you did this. Yeah. But um, so that's number one, because all of a sudden what you're left with is like, oh, now what do I do? Yeah. And that awareness and that disruption can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is stop sleeping with your phone beside your bed. Yes. Buy an alarm clock. Um, I promise it's possible. I have not, I have, I have not slept with my phone beside my bed since, uh, 2013 and I'm fine. Seven years (laughs) in I'm fine. So that would be another one. Um, and the third one is I do this. So I teach a year long class called the raise your hand, say yes, center circle. And Part of for part of that program, when we start, I send everybody a workbook in the mail. And part of the workbook feature is like almost like a planner where every day there's a space for people to share like their win, their highlight, a gratitude. And then also every day has a little star for them to color in or put a sticker on that just indicates like, did you do something to show up for yourself Mm -hmm. today? And it could be taking a nap. It could be having a hard conversation, saying no to something, saying yes to something like it could be big or small. It doesn't really matter. But I'm part of what I'm trying to do with that is give people just a place to come back to every single day to check in with themselves. And so that's another thing that I would say um, to get you out of autopilot, right, is create some sort of a ritual where every day you just take, and it doesn't, I mean, it takes 90 seconds. It's not a massive time commitment because we don't have time. Um, But I promise you have 90 seconds to just be with yourself. Mm, You do. Yeah. Um, those are beautiful ideas. I commend those. I do a couple of them. I love that. And something, this is random, but I want to highlight something that you said because I just like grabbed onto it right when you said it, but you mentioned showing up for yourself and you said whether that's having the hard conversation. And I just love that you said that because a lot of times I think when we talk about self-care and like showing up for ourselves, it looks like a bath or like doing some yoga or, you know, making a nice meal and all of those things. Yes. But it can be the really uncomfortable bits, too, that are holding us back. Um, And I just really appreciate you bringing that to light because I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves that grace to to approach those things head on and look at it as taking care of ourselves. Instead, we look at it as like this is a problem to be dealt with when really by, you know, facing it head on, we are taking care. Yeah. Or we can think about it as like, what are we doing to the other person? Mm. Right. How am I letting them down? Mm-hmm, How am exactly. I disrupting them? How am I, you know, going to hurt them in some way or disappoint them in some way? And it's that whole idea of like, what are you saying yes to? And what are you saying no to? And by mm-hmm. saying no to a person or a way that you're being treated or a relationship or habit or whatever, mm-hmm. you're often saying yes to yourself. And mm-hmm. I think that's when we really start talking about self-care mm-hmm. is this honoring of self and whatever that looks like in any given moment. And I try to live by that and I take very few baths. <laughs> yeah. All about the integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back. exactly. Yeah. 
So you have a few different ways in which you work with clients, right? So you have the inner circle, which you mentioned, you have a deep dive strategy, and then nine month all in. What are the differences between the the three and who are they for? Yeah. So my inner circle is kind of the biggest kind of pillar of my business. And Mm -hmm. that is a year long coaching mentorship program. Um, It's kind of a course, program, mentorship, coaching, community, all all wrapped up into one program that I work with 150 women a year on that. We start in October. So I can give you the link for the wait list Great. if people are interested. Is it a um, group or is it individual with you, but just it's in this inner circle or is it like you get FaceTime with these women? Yeah, it's a group. Oh, so amazing. we work with, um, so there's a live lesson every month, a live Q&A call, there's oh, an online community, there's a lot so of great. other goodies. Um, and I walk people through what I call my activate, wait, access, activate, amplify agency framework, where the first third of the program is really looking at like accessing your personal agency, mm-hmm. finding delight in your life, setting up rituals, grounding, self-care, what all of that looks like for you. Um, then you start to activate your agency, which is all about like starting to make some moves, changes, shifts, Mm -hmm. saying things out loud. And then the amplification is really once you've started to like uncover some of that, how can you take it bigger, deeper, more powerful, right? Getting into sort of what do you want for the world and yourself and how can those two complement each other? Mm. Um, so that's, 99% of the work that I do is through that inner circle. Everyone in the inner circle also gets access to, they get first dibs on my coaching calendar. They also get discounted sessions. So for people who really want to work with me, but maybe don't want to do that deep dive nine month program, um, which is pretty intense. Like that's a really good place for people to put themselves. Um, I also do one-off strategy sessions. So if somebody wants me to give them feedback on, their business or they're working on a new course or they need some kind of coaching around like a a one-off thing and they don't want to commit to the inner circle, then they can hire me just for an hour-long strategy session. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Okay. And then the deep dive is really for people who are really committed to wanting to change something about themselves, about their business, about their lives. And they know, I think that there are people who like know that an online course is not for them. And so this is an option for them where we do monthly coaching sessions. We also do three day long intensives, um, which could be in person, but you know, now who knows if anyone can ever get on a plane again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, that's really the sort of like, if you want to go all in and you're really committed to making this change for yourself, then I will be beside you and kind of walk this path with you for nine months and be there to support you and challenge you and hold you accountable. Mm. Um, so those are the three pieces That's that I beautiful. currently teach so and coach. Good. You also have the free agency archetypes quiz. First of all, everyone listening, Tiffany's website is just beautiful. I mean, <laughs> it's so visually stimulating you could spend like 15 minutes on there and just not get bored. So I've been tinkering on it, obviously. And I took the quiz and the questions were so good. I mean, I've taken a lot of quizzes like that before. And you like when sometimes you're answering and you just want to go with the one that just sounds better. You're like, yeah, that'll do. That'll do. These really make you think, really make you think. And it came out that I'm a go-getter. That would be my guess for you. Yeah. Oh, cool. Your descriptions yeah. of what that means and especially the things to watch out for, I was like, whoa, this is so spot on. And it actually really synced up with 
my human design, like we talked about. I was like mm-hmm. mirroring the two. I'm like, this is like so accurate. It's freaky. So everyone should definitely head over to the site and take that quiz. It was really, really beneficial. Um, so I want to close out with what I call rapid fire questions. So if you are up for that. Yes, that always. Cool. Okay. In this season of life, what are you most grateful for? My husband. <laughs> Tim, right? Shout out yeah, to Tim. Yeah, Tim, <laughs> thank you for, um, it's a, it's a whole thing right now with being home and the six-year-olds yeah. and I love my, I mean, I'm actually really grateful that like the people that I'm in this home with and the creature, yeah. my dog, like I love yeah. all of them so much. Um, and that just makes me feel like I've done some things right in this life. Oh, I love that. What is something that you value about yourself? Ooh, um, I, my intuition. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What has been your most rewarding life lesson? Oh gosh, rewarding! Oh, rewarding! I would say like, can we can we shift that a little bit to say like, yeah. what's been my most needed to learn, but also frustrating life lesson? Sure. The next one was hardest, so you can you can merge yeah. them. <laughs> I th- I think they're the same thing, which yeah. is um, that my brain will forever be telling me that I'm not doing enough. And Mm. that part of my job and thriving and this life that I've been given is to ignore, to like honor my intuition, but ignore that part of my brain. That's just kind of being an asshole. Yes. Yeah. Are you an early bird or a night owl? I am an early bird. I'm a begrudging early bird. (laughs) Um, but I, yeah, I, like in bed by 9.30 every night. Do you work better in the morning or like afternoon? Do you have like a more creative peak? Yeah, mornings, mornings for sure. Me too. Uh, Coffee or tea? Coffee. What is your morning routine if you have one? So my mornings, I mean, these days are pretty standard and it used to be that everyone was out of my house at 7.15 and so I had a lot more kind of luxury time. Mm -hmm. Um, These days I do just like a very quick like six minute grounding ritual where I'll Mm -hmm. do a five minute meditation Um, and I just kind of meditate on whatever it is that I want to invite into my day, into my business, into myself. Um, And then I do like a one minute prayer ritual where I light Mm. a candle and get on my knees and just say a prayer of usually my prayer these days has been just like, let me trust that whatever comes to me is what I need Mm. Um, and to be able to have faith in my ideas. So I don't overthink. And so that's been really, really useful to have to keep coming back to, especially as things are so chaotic and kind of out of my control right now. Right. What is your life motto? Raise your hand, say yes. Yes. (laughs) Trust that you'll figure things out as you go. Um, If you were a color, what color would you be? Oh gosh. Mm. I think I would just be like polka dots. Oh, that's a great answer. A pattern. Yeah. 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 What don't, don't pin me into a color. <laughs> what song or musician is on repeat for you right now? Oh, um, I have been listening to, we've been listening to a lot of Queen lately. Oh, good. And I'm a big George Michael fan. Cool. Um, I also listen to um, Ariana Grande and then Ben Platt, who's like a Broadway guy. I find his stuff really soothing, like when I'm working. Um yeah, I I go all over with my you musical taste. You are a classic. Taste. I love it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? 
I'm see, this is, I'm not good at favorites. Um, I have a lot of favorite books. Um, my, I just finished reading the book, the overstory Okay, it's fiction. And it was like, a. I think it won the Pulitzer in 2018. Um, and it was really, if you want a book about like connecting with the natural world and how we're all intertwined and how humans are just, but a minuscule part of this universe. Um, yeah. It was, it was re- it's really profound and it was really interesting to read it during right now. Oh, I bet. Okay. I'll link that. I want to read that. Um, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Mm, uh, I would go to France. We are supposed mm. to go to, we are supposed to spend the summer in France oh, and wow. we are not, but that is where I would love to go. When you think of being human, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Mm, love. Oh, so good. And lastly, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at tiffanyhan.com. That's spelled H-A-N, Han like solo. And I'm on Instagram at the Tiffany Han. Um, and you can find me wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, my podcast is called Raise Your Hand, Say Yes. So you can search that or you can search Tiffany Han and I'll come up. So much goodness. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and just sharing your wisdom with all of us. I'm truly so inspired by the way you show up for yourself and just for the collective. So in your Instagram posts, like I said, they're just like a punch to the soul. I love them. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Of course. So there you have it. Today's episode with the beautiful Tiffany Hahn. I'm just so grateful that she took that time to share all of her golden nuggets with us. I really hope that you loved this episode. And if you did, if you wouldn't mind, just leave me a quick five-star rating and review over on iTunes. That would be amazing. It's truly what helps build the podcast and lets it grow and land in the laps of all of those who might need messages like today's. You can also share this with family and friends or anyone that you think might benefit from this message as well. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you back here next week.